Welcome to Convos from the Couch by Lifestance Health, where leading mental health professionals help guide you on your journey to a healthier, more fulfilling life. Hello, everyone. This is Convos from the Couch by Lifestance Health. I'm Nicolette Lianza, and on this episode, I'll be talking with Paula Bamboche Martins, a child, couples, and family trauma therapist from one of our Philadelphia offices, and she will help us to understand more about intergenerational trauma. So welcome back, Paula. Great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Excited to, it's like very excited for this conversation. Yeah, oh, oh my gosh, so am I. You know, intergenerational trauma, or sometimes it's also called generational trauma, mm. it can have such profound impact on individuals, families. And so I really look forward to our conversation today about it, um, how it manifests and how it can be addressed as well. So thank you again for being on. Yeah, I appreciate that. So we're going to go ahead and get started. And let me throw out the very first question here for you, which is, can you explain what intergenerational trauma is and how it differ, differs from other forms of trauma? Right. Uh, so intergenerational trauma, or like you said, generational trauma, and I believe it's also called multi-generational trauma. It's all the same. <laughs> the gotcha. point of it is the generation aspect of the trauma that makes it already different from other forms. Of trauma because it's trauma that's passed from generation to generation to generation of obviously family trees. Um, you can also look at it as let's say the initial survivor of the trauma passing it down to their descendants. So that can just be a specific parent. Doesn't necessarily have to be both as long as it's just one parent who's passing that down. Um, the thing with intergenerational trauma is the fact that it looks just like trauma because that's what it is, right? And it's it's like it looks like PTSD, it looks like anxiety, it looks like emotional dysregulation, it looks like mood dysregulation, poor communication skills, right, right. Um, having poor also very rigid boundaries. But typically, I would even towards more so porous boundaries because the notion and idea of family comes with like a sense of obligation from the beginning in that type of relational dynamic. So with a, with a family system that already comes with the sense of obligation from the beginning, you're born to be obligated to be a sibling to your sister and things like that, right? The lack of boundaries it's more so porous than rigid because it's usually, if you find, if you have conversations with people, they will tell you it's harder to set boundaries with their family as opposed to right. people that are strangers. Right. So I would definitely say that intergenerational trauma looks more like porous boundaries. And of course, if we're going to talk about why it's different from other forms of trauma, you could also look at what actually, like what causes intergenerational trauma. That's one. And then another thing that you could look at too as well is how it actually affects us. So the first part being the cause, 
if I'm being honest in coming into our conversation today, I was like, oh my, I didn't realize that there was even more causes than I thought there were. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it kind of made sense. It made so much sense. And it also tied back to the previous podcast episode you and I had where we talked about identities and a lot of the trauma that stems from the root of intergenerational trauma comes from historical trauma, as we all know. Mm -hmm. Things Mm -hmm. like being a descendant of refugees, Holocaust survivors, colonialism, racism, war. So because even slavery too as well. Yeah. Um, So because of the fact that that is like the root you see why it's hard. Like when you look at the generational aspect of the trauma, it's like this very hard thing to shake off compared to, let's say, if someone talked about, and this is not to differentiate or negate the fact that trauma is trauma, mm-hmm. but if we're comparing it to, let's say, someone who may have had an acute traumatic experience where, let's say, they um, got into a car accident, comparing that to something along the lines of intergenerational, you might still have the same approach with healing from that trauma, but the level of work that's yeah. going to have to happen for the generational trauma is different. So that already makes it very different from other forms of trauma. I'm glad you bring up that point. I think that's actually a really key point. I also wanted to circle back because you talked about porous boundaries that families might have, which is actually one of the things, you know, we look at of how intergenerational trauma can manifest in, in families. But can you go mm. a little bit more into what porous boundaries are for people who might not be familiar with that term? Yeah. So porous boundaries is pretty much just poor boundaries. Okay. So it looks like oversharing. It looks like saying, not having the ability to say no. For example, it looks like um, people-pleasing behavior. Yeah, that's one. That's a big it, one. It also looks like a level of, how do I put this? A level of a script. that So a script that we develop for ourselves to justify why that is not. So I'll give you an example. Um, a client of mine who I actually saw this week was explaining to me how a friend of his for three years now has consistently called during times of the day when he's busy and he's with his family and he needs to do things that are his responsibility and he's communicated to them, like not directly, just said, yeah, can you call me at another time? But would pick up a lot of times when the friend would call him. And of course, next thing, something recent happened where he got tired, but he hadn't set those boundaries with this friend. So the friend calls, he just ignores. The friend calls, he ignores. And then eventually the friend gets angry and doesn't speak to him. So he comes to therapy and he's saying, it's my fault, meaning it's his fault, that he did not he did not pick up the call as opposed to, it's my fault that I did not set ah, the boundary with right, my friend. Because right. for him, he sees that as, like, I have no choice but to pick of the call when this person calls, but because I'm not, I'm afraid of conflict, which a lot, which you would see in family dynamics too as well, I'm afraid of conflict, it would be easier to say that it's my fault. So that would be an example of what porous boundaries look like. Oh my gosh, that's a great example. 
Can you share with us other uh, ways that this type of trauma can manifest in individuals or families? Yeah. So the thing with that is there's a lot of emotional dysregulation that comes with intergenerational trauma. I think as I, if I look at my experience with my clients who have some level or some degree of intergenerational trauma, it's like, oh, okay, made sense. I, I see what's happening. So there's a lot of unresolved emotions and thoughts. Very deep resentment too, as well can absolutely manifest. Um, one very common one is a negative repeated pattern of behavior. So, for example, I, I, I don't know if you know, like the terminology, like hush culture, something like that. So whereas we don't speak about this thing, that right. clearly is a problem in our family. So, of course, you might see some generations of abuse happening with women specifically in the family and no one says anything. Um, I had a client who had talked about they picking up on the generational like repeat the negative repeated patterns of behavior of a specific member of the family always being killed by a loved one or being killed by someone. And I was like, that's an interesting line to actually, like that's interesting observation when they have brought this to me. So that repeated pattern of behavior can look, it can be in different ways, but it's still very similar. And I would say, Another thing too as well, unfortunately, when we talk about generational trauma is the poor parent-child relationship. Yeah. Where a lot of us as adults were manifesting attachment styles that mimic uh, what our childhood right, was, right. was like. So that that already in its own can be a topic on its own. That's a whole, right? That's a so whole other that, that, episode. Those are very big indications of generational trauma when we're looking at how we can actually manifest. Now, have you come across, I think in some of my own clients that I've, I've identified generational trauma, uh, for some I'll see a mistrust that the family will have for just people outside of the family. Um, this just basic mm. mistrust. Have you uh, noticed that as well? Mm, what do you mean when you say that? So, um, okay, I, one of the examples I'm thinking of is I used to work in foster care. And, mm. and sometimes, you know, we know in foster care, foster youth have obviously have been exposed to trauma. And mm. part of the goal of foster care is reunifying back with parents or family and and. Mm because of the system per se. So even looking at mm-hmm. children's protective services, I'll find some families, even with reunification, will be just very mm-hmm. uh, not trusting. And then the play of the generational trauma too, where generation to generation of maybe abuse and neglect and trauma mm-hmm. playing out. So that's where I'll see uh, probably just more of a mistrust of the system is probably more of yeah. how I'm describing that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um during the time when I was solely working with kids and their caregivers, I saw that all the time it was very common where I would have um, kids who wouldn't even trust me because they would look at me as a system too as well. Mm, and I could, have, I could have mom come in who's, who has, has maybe a ruptured attachment with the kid but would also be distrusting of the system. So they're both, what they share, the trauma that they share in common is the mistrust 
of the system in itself and then looking at it as well because it does absolutely impact that relationship because a lot of times if we're going back to the causes of the trauma mm-hmm. that being marginalized groups and identities yep. are formed from that trauma so of right. course if we're looking at it from that perspective it makes sense as to why even looking at the mistress of the system as a shared common trauma the relational aspect of it the generational aspect of it is just they they connect there's a connection there right right let me ask you this how can understanding generational trauma help us better to support those who've experienced it that question for some reason is a tough one <laughs> So, I, you know, I agree. That is a tough question, right? I mean, here we are that, having this lovely conversation, right? We're having the conversation about it. And you and I are both coming mm. from the point of view of knowing what it looks like, working with individuals and families. Yeah. You know? um, but I I think one of the keys, and we were talking a little bit about this before we were recording, is that my, my hope is for some li- listeners to realize like, wow, this is a thing. And maybe this mm. is something in my own life that I've been experiencing in my family has as well. Mm. So I, I think even for individuals understanding that this is a type of trauma that might be a dynamic in your family, it yeah. could just be helpful right there. Or yeah. if you're somebody outside the family looking at the family, you know, that might be another way of like, I think when you understand mm. something, you can better yeah. support it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, it makes sense. The reason why this is a tough one is because I don't know how the listeners are going to feel about my answer to that. Oh, I'm curious. All right, then what's your answer here? <laughs> I I honestly, this is just coming not from a professional point of view, but maybe a little bit of that, of like looking at the world. But I think as long as there's a family line, there's trauma if that makes sense. So as long as there's a family system there, there's going to be trauma. Of course, the trauma is going to, it's going to range in terms of severity, frequency, who's responsible for it, what type of trauma it is. But as long as there's a family dynamic, it can't even be as, and I say minute because, but it's also not minute for some people that's their trauma. Right. The expectation right. to be perfect, for example. Yeah. The trauma of we present ourselves this way. If you present yourself very differently, you're it's almost like a disgrace to the family. I, I have I've had clients where that was their trauma. And for someone, someone might be like, yeah, but it's, it's made your dad successful. It's made your mom successful. It's made you successful. So what's the trauma? And they're like, I don't know how to stop. <laughs> right, right, right. So I'm like, I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to pause and rest and be mindful and be present in life. That is a trauma. Mm-hmm. So I think the reason why I, that was my thought when you I asked see. that question. Okay. Is the fact that we have to be made aware like you can't really fix or address what you're not necessarily made aware of. And I think because there's also a harsh mentality with generational trauma mm-hmm. because it has to do with families and families have different makeups. They have different cultures around what their dynamic looks like. So it's understandable that this is not a conversation that we're having, but it should be a conversation that we have and we need to normalize it. Yes. Normalize it in the sense yeah. where it's, 
we're not talking about this because mom did something wrong or granddad did something wrong or grandmom did something wrong. Now, bear in mind, I'm not talking about people who have actually gone through severe levels of abuse where where a family member was responsible for that. Those people are wrong, if that makes sense. Right. But more so coming from the perspective of, okay, I understand. Makes sense why you parented me this way because that was what you experienced. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, the reason why the awareness aspect most likely is very, very low is because I have a lot of, like I have, I see it every day in my sessions where it's, if I say this, this would happen. If I set that boundary with my parents, this would happen. If I had that conversation with them that this happened because there's a block within that power dynamic of I did the best that I could, but I don't want to sit to have to realize what trauma did I actually experience that I passed on? Because mm-hmm. that then comes self-accountability. And that is one of the things that we really struggle with. Right, well. right. Very true. You made a point a little earlier saying if, if I'm paraphrasing, if you're in a family dynamic, what, you know, what comes hand in hand with that is trauma, some sort of line of trauma. And I think that's a really interesting statement. And I agree with that. And, and, you know, part of it too, is I'm a trauma therapist specialist. So I feel like I see it day to day as I'm working with my own clients, but I think it's one of those notions that people don't really recognize that if you're part of a family dynamic, there's probably some semblance of a line of trauma just inherent in that. Is, is that a fair way of how you're describing it? Yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're absolutely right when you say that you think that people just don't recognize that. Right. And I, I honestly don't blame them. I have more empathy for them in my sessions when that happens. I don't blame them because it it changes the idealistic view that you also have of your family, if that makes oh, sense. Oh, good point. So, oh, I didn't look at it from that point of view. Yeah. And I think us, whether we're adults, we're in the older generation, mid to late generation, whatever generation we're in, we're always still kids at heart. So mm-hmm. if something changes that the idealistic view that you maybe had of a parent or anyone any family member really it it becomes shocking to the point where no one really wants to have to sit with that emotion because it's that's when it's real right right oh for sure for sure and and sitting with those emotions can just feel so uncomfortable which is Mm -hmm. why I think it drives people to want to avoid feeling that or maybe even turning to substances substances to a to numb it and things like that yeah exactly um uh, currently in my life um having these kind of conversations with my mom I will tell you this that if this were five years ago if this were 10 years ago I would never have pictured Mm -hmm. me having these conversations with her where she's not running like she's not running anymore she's actually sitting and connecting the dots with me and I, I I think that's probably the most intimate in terms of our relationship we've gotten because there's a little, even if she's not verbally saying that self-accountability there, she's showing that self-accountability that's there. But I, I'll tell you that it's not an easy thing. And I no, know families right. and people arrive to that state. They, they arrive there when they arrive there. Some people, it takes them 30 years. Some people, it takes them two. Right, it's just right. right.
We're going to shift gears a bit here. Can you share with us some ways and strategies for addressing and healing from generational trauma? Therapy. <laughs> Love it, right? Therapy. Like. Let's say it very clearly. Therapy. So I, I guess that's inferring that it's it's best to to seek out a professional or support, treat, right? Seek, absolutely. Seek treatment, seek a professional, seek support. I, I have that response. The reason why I say that is because my friends, they know when we have when I have conversations with, with friends of mine and they're saying some things and they're like, I don't and they're connecting the generational drama and I'm like, therapy. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't connect it with me. Actually go to, to therapy. And um this week I had a an interesting conversation with a trauma client of mine about taking a break from your healing process. Like it's okay to take a break. Like it's okay to pause. They were explaining to me how they get very exhausted very exhausted um after session sometimes it's like a, i call it an emotional hangover type of thing oh, that's a good term where it's it. just like i can't move i don't want to do anything um and i told them it's like you know you have the choice to like go at whatever pace you want to go with your trauma like the healing of your trauma and they're like i do i said yeah you do <laughs> you have a choice to say i only can do two sessions in Oh, in a month and that's it I can't do every week right now because it's a lot that you're uncovering right and I'm, I'm just giving this example to explain that good example the, the fear that we have in going to therapy and a lot of times people say I don't want to have to sit with these emotions so it's pretty much letting them know that they have the choice to go out whatever pace they want that lets them realize like okay I do need therapy and obviously there's interventions like EMDR, mm-hmm. which really mm-hmm. helps with just identifying new ways of thinking. And then in addition to that, helping you really reprocess your trauma, which I'm trained in EMDR. And I learned recently too as well of IFS that that has a lot of bringing various parts of your personality and yourself across, I think, your developmental trajectory and then kind of molding who you are as a whole person. Don't really know much about IFS. I've been hearing about it a lot. And it seems very interesting on how it correlates with trauma. And of course, there's um, CFCBT too as well, which is an additional way in which can actually help you challenge a lot of the beliefs and narratives that unfortunately have been developed for us and we've kind of carried along generations. But um, in terms of strategies too as well, I think one of the things that's very key for at least for anyone who is actually doing trauma work, if that makes sense, you have to realize that your trauma is, yeah, it's you're going, for using EMDR, you're going to the past, so to speak. You're taking a journey back. You're like, okay, great. I'm reprocessing, reprocessing. Oh, really? I felt abandoned there. This is why every time people leave, we have to feel abandoned. Oh, my, my mom does that. And I see those similarities. And oh, I am very anxious and I have an anxious parent who projected their anxiety Mm -hmm. on me. And my granddad did the same thing to my mom. And it just, so we processing and going back and visiting, that's nice. And once you're going through that process of healing from generational trauma, the client has to get to a point where they start to actually design what their future is going to look like. Because the main thing, I would say like the most important thing to understand about generational trauma is that it can actually end with you. Yeah. So that's the part that 
I think that's probably the part of generational trauma that is amazing mm-hmm. because you know how we talk about trauma cannot that we don't like to say the word of trauma being fixed because it's like a lifelong journey right. that you take with you. Right. The thing about generational trauma is that there actually is more likelihood that it can end with you. Of course, there's just going to have to be a lot of work right. that's being done. I like that you're emphasizing that. It's it's about, you know, eventually just breaking the cycle. It ends with you and not to carry yeah. it forward. And that's one thing I think therapy can be very helpful with with that. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about how communities and society as a whole uh, can address generational trauma and maybe even help trans- uh, prevent its transmission to future generations. Yeah. What are you thinking about that? I, I think I think community. Also, that that has to include like the family subsystem, the ecosystem in general. Yeah. So that's like yeah. family, church, school, right. Right. mosque, um, wherever. That includes that because the, I think the silence and secrecy narrative of generational trauma is what's really key. Like it's what's really holding it together as strong as it is right now. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons why I say that is we need to start to make changes. Communities, these communities need to start making changes to that narrative of, oh, no, that happened to you. No, that did not happen to you. Don't you don't bring that up again. So making these changes helps. Um, mm-hmm. I can give you a quick example. My mom and I we have this conversation all the time. Because I feel like this was probably her most transformational moment as a parent, so to speak. Um, I was a since I think when I was very young, since maybe like the age of 10, I was very quiet. So very mute, very quiet. So sometimes maybe mute even. And I had like, you know how, I don't know, maybe you don't know actually. Um, so as Christians who go and we go to church and we have, uncles and people that we call uncles yes and aunties, yeah and really I have that in my family yeah <laughs> they really aren't your uncles and your right. aunties so right. I had an uncle who had kind of just noticed me at church just being very mute for like an extended period of time and then just brought it to my attention and they told my mom rather um actually he spoke to me first didn't tell me he was going to tell my mom but spoke to me first and I was just like yeah, everything's fine but everything wasn't fine because I was experiencing trauma as a kid So he then spoke to my mom and my mom actually listened. She listened as soon as he told her, she like, she like put me in the room. I was like, we're not leaving until we process this. And of course that was very helpful because that's Mm -hmm. when I knew like, oh, I can actually speak. There's no silence, so to speak, or secrecy around that. So I think that community is key because a lot of times we see things as community and we don't really say anything. And of course, by doing that, we're easily normalizing it. And that's one thing that we need to be able to do. Because a lot of times, um, there's this therapist. I'm trying to remember what her Tabitha. I'm going to butcher her name, but it's okay. <laughs> Tabitha Mpamira, like Koguri or something like that. Um, I was watching a video of hers and I found what she said to be just so powerful. She said, because of traditions, we don't question why we do what we do. Oh. 
And I was like, huh. <laughs> that's good. It's interesting. And right. she, I think she likened it to something as little as, oh, that's grandma's recipe. That's how my mom does it. That's how my mom does it all. And my mom says, oh, that's how my mom did it. Right. But we don't right. really question, even mm-hmm. with parenting too as well. So I found that to be very powerful. And I think that's another way in which as a community, we can start to really do that. And of course, self-accountability, like I yes. said before. Right. Can't emphasize that, that enough. That is very needed. Right. Right. My gosh, Paula, thank you. You just provided so many amazing insights into this very difficult topic you know you mentioned the the whole sh- the hush uh, dynamic i mean that yeah. this is really bringing it to light to make people aware to pay attention to it and to speak it for yeah, so i appreciate absolutely. everything you, you shared thank with you us so today. much thank you for having me it was a great conversation thank you and i also want to thank the team behind the podcast jason clayton Juliana Whitten and Chris Kelman. Take care, everyone.